passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, I want to start with a question that we have uh, wrestled through for the last several weeks and even the last several months. Uh, if you've been here before, it's one that you are probably familiar with as we have worked our way through the book of First Peter. And that is this. When life falls apart, how will you respond? When your friend dies in a car accident, how will you handle it? When you lose your job and aren't able to provide for your family, to whom will you turn? When you struggle with infertility for years, what will help you through it? Another set of questions. What about when you do the right thing and you suffer for it? You are mocked for it anyway. When you refuse unbiblical business practices, unethical business practices, and you are passed up for a promotion. When you refuse to go out and party with people after work because God has something better for you. How will you make it through the times where you are mocked, where you are passed up for jobs? It's a question that Peter has been wrestling with throughout this text. If you've been with us the last several weeks and months, we've been working our way through First Peter. And time and time again, as we've been opening this book, we've seen God call us to endure in the midst of hard times. To lean on him, to look to Jesus, to hold fast in the midst of the difficulties of our lives. And today, as we open up to First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, we're going to see that it's really not all that different. There's a call for us to endure, to hold fast in the midst of hard times by looking to Jesus. As we open this text, we're going to see very quickly that this is a summary to passage. It really just takes everything that Peter has said in the previous couple chapters and says, this is what I've been saying, or therefore, this is what you should do. And as we open this text, we're going to see Peter hammer home one truth over and over and over for us. As we explore this, we're going to see this, that God is good enough to trust in hard times. God is good enough to trust in hard times. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. God is good, and we can trust him. This is the truth that got Adeniram Judson, who was a missionary back in the 1800s, that got him through the difficulties he experienced. God called him to leave the United States and go be a missionary in Southeast Asia. While in Southeast Asia, he lost his first wife. He lost his second wife. He lost seven of his 13 children, countless colleagues, all while following the will of God. And in the midst of that, he was able to endure because he knew that God was good. This is the same truth that was uh, what enabled Horatio Stafford to be able to write the words, it is well with my soul after his entire family died in a shipwreck. Because he knew that God was good. He knew that he could trust in God and that he could run to God. As we open this text this morning, we're going to see how this truth, that God is good enough to trust in hard times, was essential for Peter 
and what he experienced. It was crucial. It was the rock for what got his audience through the difficulties they experienced and how it can help us today as well. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be in verses, verses 12 through 19. Please follow along as I read aloud. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? For if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. As we open this text, it's important for us to remember what's going on in Peter's day. In the first century, Christianity was a cause for suffering throughout the known world. Christians were suffering all across the Roman Empire. Peter himself was experiencing this. Many of his friends had died. Some of his closest friends had died for sharing the gospel with others. Peter himself was in prison at this moment as he's writing this letter because of the gospel. There's a good chance that his brother had already been killed for the gospel. Maybe his wife had already been killed for the gospel. As Peter calls us to hold fast, to trust God in the midst of the difficulties we experience in our life, Peter is not saying that in a vacuum. Peter has experienced this truth. And that is the truth that helped Peter through the darkest times of his life. Christians were suffering for the gospel, but it wasn't just for the gospel that they experienced hardship. They also experienced hardship just because, that's, uh, because they were seeking after good in their lives. Because they rejected idol worship, they were kicked out of the marketplace. Because they decided not to live immoral and depraved lives. They were outcasts in society, not allowed to come and join in social gatherings of that day. And as they're losing friends and they're losing influence, Peter writes these words and says, Hold fast to Jesus because he will get you through. Not only are they suffering because of the gospel, not only are they suffering because of righteousness' sake, but they are also just suffering because, frankly, that's a part of life. Life is filled with struggles. Friends get sick and die. We lose jobs and aren't able to provide for our families, don't have enough food on the table. And in the midst of all of that, Peter is saying, hold fast to Jesus because he will get you through. As they're wrestling through all of the suffering they are experiencing, I'm sure they thought of the gospel, the promises that are found in the gospel, that Jesus comes to bring rest, Jesus comes to bring peace, and they're looking at the suffering they are experiencing in their lives, and they're saying, is this thing legitimate? Is this real? 
Because Jesus says he's going to bring me peace, he's going to bring me joy, he's going to bring me rest. And if I look at my life, it is far from that right now. Is this Christianity thing just a hoax? Maybe you've experienced those same doubts and questions in your life. Maybe you've gone through those same trials in your life. And if you have, that's why verse 12 is good news for us. I want to reread it for us. Peter says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Notice what Peter calls our suffering. Notice what Peter calls the hardships we experience. He calls them fiery trials. When we suffer hardship in our lives, it is never meaningless. It is never pointless. God is always at work when we suffer hardship, whether it be a great deal of hardship or whether it is a small amount of hardship, whether it is for the gospel or for righteousness or whether it's just a part of life. In every situation, when we suffer, When we experience hardship, God is at work using those moments to refine us, to make us more like him, to cut the strings that attach us to the world. They are fiery trials for us where God is at work in our lives. And this is good news for us. It's good news because there is never going to be a meaningless suffering that we experience in our lives. God does not allow his children to experience meaningless suffering. Now, we might not know the purpose of the suffering that we are experiencing, but God is good. God is a faithful creator, as Peter says in this passage. Because of that, we can know that God is at work in whatever we are experiencing. This is good news for us. Because when we look at our hardships as suffering, or as a trial, rather, it helps us to be prepared. See, everyone under the sun suffers. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or you haven't been a Christian at all, everyone suffers, whether great or small. Jesus himself suffered while he walked this earth. And so when we suffer, we can be prepared that God is going to use those that we should not be caught off guard. Not only should we not be caught off guard, but we should rejoice when we suffer. This is what Peter says in verse 13. I just want to read this again. Peter says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, if you're like me, when you read verse 13, it can catch you by surprise. I can understand what Peter is saying in verse 12, that we... Uh, we Whenever we suffer, it is a trial from God that we should not be surprised when we experience those hardships in our lives. But then you get to verse 13 and you wonder if Peter fell off his rocker, that we are called to rejoice in the midst of the difficulties of our lives. What is Peter saying here? How is Peter telling us that we should trust God because he is good by telling us to rejoice in the midst of the sufferings we experience? I want you to think of Peter. Everything that you know about Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, he used to be a fisherman. He was really smart at, real, at times and, and, frankly, really dumb at times, too. And probably the biggest thing that we know about Peter, or the, the most famous thing about Peter, is right before Jesus' death, he denies Christ three times. Jesus was having a meal with his disciples and said, you know, all of you are going to 
to leave me. You're going to abandon me. And Jesus looks at Jesus, uh, Peter looks at Jesus and says, if everyone else leaves you, I won't. My name means rock. I'll be there. I'll be the rock for you in the midst of it. And Jesus just looks at Peter and says, I tell you the truth. Before this night is over, you're going to betray me. You're going to disown me. You're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, that's what happens. Peter says, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus when he is asked about him. Scripture tells us that after the third time he denied Christ, Jesus actually looked at him. And they made eye contact. And and we see that, that Peter is just torn up on the inside. His soul is torn to shreds because he has abandoned Jesus. Thank God that's not the end of the story. A couple months later, we see that Peter is suffering again. He is sharing the gospel in Jerusalem with the other apostles. And as they are sharing the gospel uh, to other people, they're actually brought before the Jewish authorities and they are beaten for sharing this gospel. And then Acts 5.41 says their response. I just want to read this to you. It says, Then they, being Peter and the apostles, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. In just a few short months, Peter goes from the person who denies Christ three times to rejoicing that he is counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Instead of running the other way, Peter and the other disciples, they... they rejoice. Why? Why do they rejoice? It's not because of a, a, just a crazy, sadistic understanding of suffering, that they liked suffering. It wasn't because they believed in no pain, no gain, and, and this is the way that we are going to get ahead in life. It wasn't even because they thought that this was going to make them stronger in their faith. Peter tells us, or the, the writer of Acts tells us why. Because they were suffering for Jesus. They were worthy of suffering for him. Somewhere in between John 19 and Acts chapter 5, something happened in Peter's life. Peter began to understand that suffering wasn't meaningless in his life. He knew that the sufferings that he experienced, the trials that he went through in his life were being used by God to cut away the strings that tied his affections to the world. A couple of weeks ago, we were in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 6, and as we went through that passage, we saw this really interesting, difficult to interpret phrase that says, those who suffer have ceased from sin. Or something like that. Those who suffer in the flesh have ceased from sin. And what we saw as we, do, as we dove into that passage was that what Peter is saying is that when we choose to follow the will of God, even when it causes us to suffer right now in our lives, when we choose momentary affliction over denying Jesus, that we are actually killing our love for the world inside of us. Every time that we suffer and choose Jesus rather than escaping that suffering, we are very literally dying to sin. Same thing happened in Peter's life. As he was suffering, he realized that his suffering wasn't meaningless. He realized that God was cutting away his love for the world. He didn't know the whole story. He didn't know exactly which sin that God was at work on, killing his love for it when he suffered. But he knew 
and was confident that God was good and that God was using it for his good to make him more like Jesus. See, Peter and the apostles, they understood the connection between today and tomorrow. They understand, understood how when we rejoice in our sufferings today, God ensures us or assures us that we will rejoice one day in our sufferings uh, or after we have uh, gone through our sufferings when Jesus comes back. And the reason why we can be assured of that is because God has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. This is what Peter mentions in verse 14. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You may wonder why God is good enough to trust. Why should we think that God is good enough to trust in the midst of the hardships and the suffering that we are experiencing? I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't seen everything that I want from God in my life. There are a lot of prayers that God has answered with a no that I wish would have been a yes. There are a lot of people that I have prayed for who have not come to Jesus. But even if God didn't pour out another single ounce of blessing on my life, if he took everything away from me, I would be able to say it is enough. Because God has passed over my sins. God has raised me from the dead, and God has given me his Holy Spirit to dwell within me, to have communion with him, to fellowship with God himself. God has given us his Holy Spirit. It's an assurance of things to come. God himself dwells within us. God himself walks with us and before us. Why can we know that God is good? Because God has given us the best gift of all, his Holy Spirit to live within us. Of course, the flip side of the Spirit living within us is what we should not do in those moments. Why would we do evil if God is righteous and just and holy and dwells within us? This is what Peter mentions in the next verse. He says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Now, if, if you read this and you think, well, that's pretty obvious. You know, that's like Christianity 101. Christians shouldn't go around murdering people. Uh, Christians shouldn't be uh, guilty of bank robberies, uh, of large heists. Ocean's Eleven is not a good thing for Christians to be doing. So what is Peter getting at? Why does he have to mention this that seems relatively like it's common sense? We have to go back to the, the context uh, of Peter's day. In, in Peter's day, a lot of the Christians were uh, considered to be outsiders. They were, on the out, they were the outcasts of society, that people didn't trust them. And because people didn't trust them, didn't really know all that much about Christians, they actually uh, began to accuse them falsely of certain different things. And a lot of the things that they were accused falsely of were uh, just misunderstandings of Christian teaching. So, for example, uh, in the first century, it was relatively common for Christians to be uh, accused of being cannibals. Do you know why? It's because of the Lord's Supper. It's because they taught that when they celebrated with the bread and the wine, that it was the body and blood of Christ. And people understood that to actually be the body and blood of, of Christ. They were also accused of incest. They called everyone brother or sister, including their own spouses. 
And when people heard that, they just assumed and jumped to conclusions. Some of the accusations against Christians were based off a bad understanding of their teaching. But a lot of it was just completely made up and false. There was an emperor in Rome named Nero. And Nero was a crazy man uh, by all accounts. Uh, He loved to build things. And he wanted to rebuild a lot of Rome, but there wasn't all that much room in Rome. And so he decided that he was going to torch large sections of the city to burn it down. And so he did so. And as you can probably guess, people weren't all that happy when their house was burning to the ground. And people suspected that it was Nero, but Nero blamed Christians because they were already a little suspicious. They were a little bit on the outside of society. And so Christians were known as arsonists in Rome. They were known, uh, they were accused of being murderers. They were accused of being thieves. They were accused of every single evil under the sun. And what Peter is saying here in this verse is when you are called these things, deny it. But also rejoice. Rejoice that you are being called these things because of your commitment to Christ. Rejoice that you have been counted worthy to suffer for the name. It's almost as if Peter is saying, look, I know the things that you have been called are terrible. They are hateful, awful things. They're just not true about you. So rejoice. But at the same time, Make sure that they are just accusations. God is good. And because God is good, you don't need to murder someone for vengeance. You don't need to steal all of the stuff that has been stolen from you to return it back to you. Because God is good. And we can trust him in the midst of the difficulties we experience. We don't need to be busybodies who are getting our noses in everyone else's business. Because God is good. So trust him in the midst of you're suffering. And Peter continues by saying, you know, you shouldn't suffer under these names. But if you're going to suffer under any name, you should suffer under the name of Christian. That's what he says in verse 16. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter says, you should be willing to suffer for one name, and that name is Christian. Be willing to suffer for Christ. If you experience trials because you are a Christian, then trust God because God is good. You know, times really aren't that different today as, than they were in the first century. In the first century, the term Christian actually grew out of a derogatory uh, name for people who followed Christ. It was a slur directed as those who had decided to follow this Messiah or this Christ. There was nothing good or neutral about the term. It was filled with mockery. It's filled with disdain. It's really not all that different today. Today, many people use the word Christian and bigot interchangeably. You see a lot of people today who follow Christ, but they don't like the label Christian. Consider this conversation that, I, that I've heard before. You might sound, think it sounds weird, but it, it's in a uh, coffee shop between two people. And one person walks up to the other and says, hey, I, I see you have a Bible. Are you a Christian? And one says, well, not exactly. And first one, well, what do you mean not exactly? You either are or you aren't. Well, I, I don't really like the label Christian. 
I follow God. I try to obey him and, and live for Jesus in my life, but I, I just don't like the term Christian because there's too much baggage with it. You hear, all the, you hear that quite a bit in the coffee shops in Chicago when we lived there. People are ashamed of the name Christian while they claim to be unashamed from the name of Christ. And what Peter is saying here is that if you're going to suffer for any name, suffer for that name Christian. Rejoice, glorify God in the midst of your suffering because God is good and he's worthy of our trust. See, Peter has given us many reasons for us to trust that God is good. We've seen that God uses our sufferings that might, be, might seem meaningless for our good. He uses them as trials to refine us, to make us more like him. God uses our trials to tear us away from the world and our love for the world. God has blessed us with his Holy Spirit, and we are able to associate with him under the name Christian. And Peter gives us another reason, one final reason that I want to look at before we close of why we can trust that God is good. And that's there at the, the end where, where Peter mentions judgment. What is Peter getting at when he says this in verse 17? He says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So what is Peter trying to say there? Well, let's remember that Peter is trying to tell us that we can trust God because God is good, even in the hard times of our lives. And one of the ways that God is good and shows his goodness is through his justice. God is perfectly good. God is perfectly just. And because God is perfectly good and just, it means that there is justice coming for those who don't come to him. That's just the reality of the gospel. It's almost like what Peter is saying here is saying uh, judgment is being wrought out on you every time you suffer today. Okay? So Christians experience judgment from God when we suffer today. But that doesn't mean that there is punishment for us. That's, that's not what Peter is saying here. Uh, the process of judgment is beginning. Remember that we stand justified before God. So I think this is, this is something that, that Peter is trying to say. He's saying God is good. God is so good that he has actually already paid for your penalty before him through his son on the cross. You stand completely justified. You will never experience judgment from God. But right now you're suffering. You're experiencing hard times in your life. Be assured, this won't happen in the future. There will be a time where the suffering will cease. But the same cannot be said for those who don't follow God. Those who do not obey the gospel of God. There will be justice that God will one day bring on his people. You wonder why Christians suffer today and seem, uh, seemingly uh, depraved, immoral people, they get away scot-free? Peter's saying, that's not always going to be the case. Trust that God is good. Peter assures us that God is good. That when God's people suffer trials, those who are not his people will, experiencing, will experience something far worse. This assurance is found throughout Scripture. 
Psalm after psalm after psalm is, talks about how God is not blind to the cause of the righteous. God is not blind to the cause of those who follow him. Job wrestles through this question to some extent. It's found in the book of Ecclesiastes, wondering about why the righteous suffer and those who do nothing good uh, experience peace in this life. And it's found in the book of Proverbs. And that's why Peter actually quotes or, or paraphrases a proverb here. Proverbs eleven thirty one. Look at verse 18 where he says this. For if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What Peter is saying as he's quoting this is that God is good. It's found in a passage uh, talking about the goodness of God, even though it doesn't seem like God is good, as we look at our lives right now. When we look around us and we see the righteous suffer and the wicked exalted, it doesn't look like God is good. But Peter is assuring us by quoting this proverb, he's building up our confidence in this one truth. God is good, that he is worthy of our trust, even in the midst of of hard times, even as he allows us to go through suffering. So cling to him because he will get you through. And that's how Peter closes in the final verse by challenging us, by comforting us, by spurring us on to trust in God. Take a look at verse 19. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. A few, year, a few weeks ago, Crystal and I received a special package in the mail. It was uh, from the bank, and, and they, had, they were giving us the abstract to our house. And with this large, big you know, document, there was a, another piece of paper that said, listen, this is really expensive. This is really important, too costs a lot of money to replace this, so don't lose it. You should put it in a bank, put it in a safety deposit box, put it in a fireproof vault, put it somewhere. It's almost like they were saying, you know, this is too valuable for you to treat haphazardly. It's too valuable not to give to someone else to protect. That's what Peter is saying here, too. He says, listen, storms are coming in this life. For some of us, we are already experiencing hard times in our life. Peter says, your soul is too valuable not to entrust to someone else for safekeeping. Your soul is too precious to you to not take seriously. And so entrust it to the one who is best qualified to protect it. Give it to the one who will protect it because he is a faithful and good and gracious creator. That's what Peter is saying to us here in these final words. And really, it's what Peter has been building up to as we've worked our way through this book. The entire theme of First Peter, in a nutshell, is to trust God, do good. Trust God, do good. No matter what you're experiencing, trust God and seek after good in your life because God is good and he's worthy of our trust. Let's latch on to that this week. 
latch onto that truth that God is good enough to trust even in the hard times we experience. If we doubt that God is good, and, and we'll just be honest, I think many of us here from time to time doubt whether God is good. It's important for us to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in our past, how God has worked for us in the past, how God has worked for his people in the past. We have to remember how God is at work. Don't lose sight of God's faithfulness because of the storms you are currently in. Be honest, uh, a lot of us do a little too much listening to ourselves and not enough talking to ourselves. What I mean by that is we have to constantly remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. We have to constantly remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God, of the goodness of God for our behalf, because if we aren't reminding ourselves of it, our, our natural default state is to just doubt. It's just to not trust in him. And so Peter, first and foremost, is saying, well, trust in God. Don't doubt his goodness because he is a good, wonderful, holy God. And from that point, I think this is what God wants us to do this week as we open, uh, as we go forth from here. It's to remind ourselves of this truth, that God is good enough to trust in the hard times of life, that God is good enough for us to trust. And, and what, I, what I want us to do as we go forth from here is to commit to saying this to ourselves every morning, to saying it to God every morning out loud. Say this, God, you are good. I cannot control this day, whether good or bad, but I can trust in you. So I give you my soul, and I give you this day. I'm going to say that again, and I encourage you to, to repeat it after me. God, you are good. I can't control what comes my way, whether good or bad, but I can trust in you. I give you my soul and this life today. If we say that, if we remind ourselves of the goodness of God, how God is for us each and every day, it will change our lives. It is vitally important for us to remember this truth. Of course, the question is, well, what if we don't? Will it really matter if we don't continually remind ourselves of the goodness of God and continue to trust ourselves for his goodness? I want to take a few seconds and just look at a couple different stories from the Bible of people who trusted God in the midst of the hard times and, and what things would have been like if they would have not trusted in God. So first example is Job. Job was extremely wealthy. God had blessed him in great and mighty ways and they, suddenly God took it all away, just like that. He lost his entire, uh, all of his children, lost all of his possessions. And yet in the midst of all of that, it says that he was justified before God because he didn't doubt God. He didn't accuse God of any wrongdoing. This is even when his wife and everyone around him was basically saying, you should just curse God and die. What if, if Paul, or what if Job would have done that? What if Job would have cursed God and decided to die? That he didn't trust in the goodness of God, that he decided not to think that God was worthy of his trust. Well, Job would have failed the trial that God had for him. 
Not only would he have failed the trial, but God himself would have been laughed at by Satan because Job didn't trust God. Another example, King David, before David was king, he was uh, persecuted by Saul. Um, David had been anointed king of Israel, but he wasn't king yet. And the current king didn't like him was extremely jealous of him and actually tried to kill him multiple times. And there are two times where David has the opportunity to kill Saul and to seize the throne. But he doesn't. He decides that choosing momentary affliction right now is better because it is trusting in God's plan. It's trusting that God is good, even in the difficulties he's experiencing. But what if, what if David wouldn't have? What if David had seized the day right then that he had killed Saul when when Saul wasn't looking? Well, David, just like Saul, would have gone uh, out of God's favor that the plan of God to bring salvation to all people would have gone completely a different direction. Wouldn't have had anything to do with the line of David. Would have been rejected. And yet, because he chose following God, because he chose the goodness of God and trusting God in those situations. David will never be forgotten. David's son will reign on the throne forever. All because he trusted in the goodness of God. One final example, that's Paul. At the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us all of the stuff he went through for the gospel. He tells us that he was uh, shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead multiple times. He experienced persecution from both Jews and Gentiles. And on top of all of that, he constantly uh, was focused on and concerned with the health of all of the churches that he had planted. What if Paul would have decided that enough is enough? I'm just not going to trust God anymore. I just can't handle it anymore. If that would have happened, we wouldn't have the book of Ephesians. We wouldn't have the book of Philippians, Titus, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. All of those were written while he was in prison. Or at least after he had experienced a great deal of persecution. Words that have encouraged millions to endure the hardships that they experience would have never been written. But praise God that those who have gone before us have said God is good enough to trust in the hard times. Thank God that they provide the perfect model for us to follow with our lives. Let us do that this week. Let us do that whether we experience storms in our life or we don't. Because God is good enough to trust, even in the hard times. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what you have done for us. God, you have blessed your children with so much, and we are so thankful for that. We pray that as we go forth from here, as we experience hardship, as we experience suffering, whether it is for the gospel or whether it's just a part of life itself, that we would trust you because you are worthy of our trust and you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.